Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. We are Michael Minkoff and Allison Knight, your hosts for this art history-themed season three. Our mission at Renew the Arts is to liberate Christian creativity. At renewthearts.org, you can see how you can get involved in the creative revival that is currently happening in the church. In the last five years, we've given away more than $200,000 in sponsorship value to Christian artists dedicated to their craft and to their faith. If you like what we're doing, please support our efforts by joining our patron community and perhaps by sponsoring a podcast episode. For more details, visit our website or reach out via email. Are you like most people? Do you have trouble appreciating the arts? Well, do we have a product for you? It's the Renew the Arts Podcast. Restrictions apply. This is Pop Goes the Easel. Well, that was amazing. <laughs> All right, so let's get into this one. We have a lot to talk about. Um, and on that note. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, Pop Art. So pop art emerged in Great Britain around 1950s. Uh, Of course, though, we've been heavily influenced by pop art in the U.S., which really started around 1960s and definitely kind of an avant-garde movement against the traditions of fine art. But really, pop art is all about mass culture, popular culture, consumerism, materialism, and a lot of pop art used a lot of like ready-made objects, as Duchamp would say, or the objects or thoughts or visuals from everyday society, uh, advertisements, commercials, comic books, etc. In my research, someone described pop art as kitschy, mm-hmm. and I thought that was a good description because kitschy is um, a German word, but it means like cheesiness or tackiness Mm -hmm. it's this like appeal to what is popular rather than what is considered high art and so pop art really isn't about high art it's actually low art and it still kind of plays into this whole question of what is art Mm -hmm. you see a lot of that drawn out in pop art um artists taking things that we've seen before but making putting them in a museum and calling it art and there's really a, there's a difference between pop art as a movement and popular art, which we're right. also going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Um, they are related in that they're both responses to a growing divide between the audience, the, the quote, masses, and the artists in the, quote, fine art movement. And you see this divide between highbrow and lowbrow arts. The pop art artists were making, I would consider, highbrow art that was self-consciously poking fun at the pretensions of fine art while at the same time also critiquing the baseness and lowliness. So it's sort of the beginning of the hipster movement of sorts Mm. where it's like we're going to drink Pabst Blue Ribbon but ironically, right? Um, So that kind of thing, the adoption of these tacky things and these, you know, plastic pink flamingos and but it's not an honest love of these things necessarily as much as it is a commentary on both consumerism and the pretensions of high art Mm -hmm. and i think this is important to keep in mind because consumerism is so rampant now 
commercials and advertising really have become their own art form. Mm -hmm. They're using visuals to persuade an audience. And so there's this like weird paradigm and influence of commercialism. And so they're trying to figure out how do we create art in light of this commercialized artful movement that's just happening in day-to-day life because there's such a heavy infiltration of buy this, look at that, you know, touch this, what you know, whatever, eat this. So really just media consumption right, generally. It's constant is media consumption. So it's how do we create art that is above this? But is, again, drawing in the audience that is consuming all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's such a weird thing, and, it, and it's a difficult thing to, to even navigate because everybody wants to make a living. Everybody, everybody wants an audience. They want somebody who's looking at their work. I'm not talking about artists here. Um, and yet, at the same time, most artists don't want to be known as people who sold out. Uh, or who are just money grubbing or mm-hmm. mercenary, but I guess the breakdown of the patron system forced them into a position where most artists had to make marketable art, because the market then becomes really the gatekeeping institution, and you can see that happening. It's still the case now, uh, to a large extent, and the pop artists, you know, the I guess what you would consider the formal pop artists and not just popular artists. Um, I think they were commenting on that and mm-hmm. and trying to rebel against the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about a couple of them just so we can give some examples. Yeah. Uh, so we'll talk about Roy Lichtenstein and then Andy Warhol, which everyone knows probably. Mm-hmm. They both really, probably the most prominent visual artists of the pop art movement. Lichtenstein took... Uh, played off of comic strips and he took you know the inspiration of comic strips which were being consumed every day by people uh, in newspapers or comic books what have you very popular in this time period and he enlarged it put it on a canvas and hung it on a museum wall some of his famous works are drowning girl or probably his most celebrated is wham Uh, Mm -hmm. which he produced in 1963, and it's now hanging in the Tate Museum in London. In many ways, which he would say, you know, I'm copying what's been made. But the difference is that I'm restating it. Um, And not only that, but I'm boldening it. What's happening in the pop art movement is that there's this revolt against that abstract expressionism and the fluidity of things, and it's coming back to the, like, hard surfaces intentional paint on canvas Mm -hmm. so pop art you know Roy Lichtenstein is painting what looks like you know specific comic book illustrations and it's not this we're going to throw paint on a canvas we're going to be intentional and we're going to use what is being consumed within culture and reproduce it in a way that is also a commentary on what's happening within culture. So a lot of his work is a parody mm-hmm. and he's, you know, having this social commentary about society and what's happening and mocking it. And it's kind of this kitsch. It's a little tongue in cheek. And a large part of the quality of it, he didn't have to paint it the way he painted it, no. but he actually does use the the dot pixels mm-hmm. uh, that were common in newspaper and comic exactly. book printing, where it, since they're printing dots, 
Right. He, when he blows it up, you can see right. those dots. Right. And he kept that even yeah. though he didn't that need to. Comic books were unintentionally printed and it had these dots. Mm-hmm. He's purposely putting the dots because it's something familiar to you. Right. And he's reinventing it in his own, on a large canvas. Totally. You're getting and, it from a different angle. Yeah. Yeah, right. for sure. I love this quote, actually. Um, this gentleman named Eddie Campbell once said that Lichtenstein took a tiny picture smaller than the palm of the hand, printed it in four-color inks on newsprint, and blew it up to the conventional size at which art is made and exhibited and finished it in paint on canvas. Uh, Another gentleman, Bill Griffith, said, there's high art and there's low art, and then there's high art that can take low art, bring it into a high art context, appropriate it, and elevate it into something else. Kind of draws in that question of what is art again? Mm -hmm. Because most people would look at a comic book strip and not consider that to be art. Mm -hmm. Most people would say illustration isn't art. You know, you don't really really talk about, you don't look at history books and read about illustrators. Uh, But it's, but, but yes, we should because they are artists and, why why would a comic strip not be art you know and so now lichtenstein is blowing this up onto a huge canvas hanging it in a museum and now it's art you know mm. now it's being celebrated now it's being given attention to not just sunday morning at home over cereal reading a comic book strip mm-hmm. that i love that you know taking what may seem to be low art and turning it into high art which really is just a Again, a commentary on the consumeristic art culture. Yeah. That you have this whole elitist culture and they're expecting, you know, art to be a certain way. You wouldn't spend thousands of dollars on a comic book strip, but you'll spend thousands of dollars on my canvas. And I'm just reinventing but copying a comic book strip. Right. How did this divide happen, though? When you think about all the other art movements that we've talked about, maybe up to existentialism, there's not this divide. There is definitely low art throughout. There is definitely low art being made throughout. But we don't even call it low art. We just call it folk art, which is basically just art made by people who aren't trained very well. And so their work might have interesting ideas and whatnot, but it's not usually the stuff that we end up caring about a few hundred years later. But this divide becomes pretty dramatic to where most of the art today, I mean, let's just talk about today. Most of the art today that people actually are consuming would be considered low art or mass art. It's popular art. It's pop culture and not really intended even to be fine mm, art or mm-hmm. high art. Right. Um, I mean, you know, even, even certain standards like the Academy Awards or anything like that that have attempted to create more of a high art apparatus for, for, for saying these are the important movies. These aren't just, you know, technicolor fun movies these are these are like the serious movies right but this this year i think didn't black panther win an academy award or two so again it's like black panther clearly it's based on a comic book it's a comic book movie it's not serious mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. maybe there are some serious themes in it but i'm saying it's it's fun it was designed for entertainment by a humongous mm-hmm. multi billion trillion machine that just pumps out entertainment for people i mean it's like wow and and it won an academy award like there's 
clearly the majority of art right now is would be more in the low art and anything that might even be considered high art is almost off the radar entirely for the average person how did that happen hmm. like that wasn't the case how, how did that occur my initial thought is going back to the rise of industrialism you know why would i why would i spend thousands of dollars to consume fine art when I could have something cheap that's not the same but somewhat similar. Why would I spend money to go look at Van Gogh's painting in Europe when I could just go on the internet and look at Van Gogh's painting? You know, and I really, I, th I think some people have that mentality. Like, I'm not going to spend thousands of dollars to fly to Europe to see the original. Why I can would look you? it up online. Yeah. Um, I mean, it might be a slightly different experience, but I don't think it's enough of a, a different experience to right. be worth thousands of dollars right. unless your unless whole you're, life is about Van Gogh and that's you know, what you're about. Unless you're an art history major yeah, right. and you really want to go see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that has something to do with it. There's, this, there's just this exploitation of things and to see and to experience and it's so things are just so easily accessible especially 1950s and 60s and I, I think that's where the divide starts to happen you still have this culture of the elite who are spending i mean and we'll talk about andy warhol but the highest price ever paid for an andy warhol was 105 million dollars that's just insane and so you still have this culture i mean it's not it's not gone away but you the majority of the culture doesn't have money like that. The majority of the culture is doesn't even care to no. spend money like that on fine art. Yeah. Which is it fine art because it's expensive. Andy Warhol is an exceptional artist, or is it fine art because it's Andy Warhol's name, um, and he was such a prominent figure, and you know it's become this commodity. Like that's the irony. He's mocking consumerism and his art has become consumeristic. Oh yeah. Totally. You know, and so No, but that's that he he was he was fully he self-conscious yeah. about that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and like he's talking about what's happening with his own art. So I think actually I think a lot of the divide is that I think things are so easily accessible. It's like we can just settle for like what's good enough. But uh, it's it's strange to me that that happens because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I look at this stuff that sells for $105 million or whatever, mm -hmm. and it's not worth $105 million. Yeah. It's it's only worth $105 million because someone was willing to pay that for it. Right. And because someone has been willing to pay that, then all of a sudden they've placed that value on right. it. But right. I don't really think – I mean, you have to, you have to just come down to – is art a commodity? Well, and I think that's what it has become because so why why don't we see as great of art anymore? Because like no one's calling us to to look for or to receive and take in finer art because we are inundated with art that is cheap mm -hmm. and that people will pay for. So honestly, I think greed has gotten in the way of fine art because we can pump out you know, replications of something um, or something similar, a knockoff, whatever, it, people will buy it and buy and buy it. And there's no need for them to look to, you know, what was finer or better quality or better material, what have you. 
And, and those things cost more money now because there's been this inundation with cheaper quality things that are similar enough, you know, and so people will buy it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think, I honestly, I think money, I think this consumeristic, this, the greed, um, companies will do whatever it takes to have your money. And they are constantly just throwing things in your face and capturing your attention. Well, considering how cheap it is to produce at this point and to replicate yeah. and to distribute, yeah, then why wouldn't you have an even larger number of artists who are dedicated to just producing good things yeah. who say, I'm, I'm not trying to necessarily be marketable, but because it's so cheap to produce, I can produce things for less money, mm-hmm. right? Instead, there, it, I, I, this, it's this crazy divide where you have what most people would consider snobby, hyper-pretentious art on one side where a guy – I mean, I, I, I saw, I've seen this all the time. There's a lot of pretension in the fine art world, like a lot. It's incredibly Well, you just read – you know, go to a museum and read the, you know, little plaque on the wall and mm-hmm. you don't understand half the words they're using because they need to be some – you know, it's like – so high, yeah, highbrow, intel- intellectual. It's like no one even knows what you're saying. But it's jargonated. <laughs> right, it's not what, even yeah, really it's intellectual. It's like, what it's are you actually in, saying? in or out. It's like in-crowd stuff. It's not, it's not actually deep or profound in any way. I, I, I sat there recently and heard this spiel uh, from this artist, from a contemporary artist, who I guess... I don't know, maybe he has money from somewhere else, but somehow or another he's able to just devote himself to his art. You know, he's he's got like crayons or something and he's like scratching on the canvas, looks like pretty much at random. And then he puts a, a, a couple of coats of some kind of veneer over that and he just does these things over and over and over and over again. And he had some of them out uh, for sale or whatever after the conference and I went out there and looked at them and then, you know, he's selling them for... $5,000, I mean, I guess because they're originals. And if you if you were to go out there and he were to say, it took me 10 minutes to do this or mm-hmm. 20 minutes to do this or whatever it did. And so I work for $50 an hour. And so this is a $5 piece, you know, plus materials, $25. Right. Right. Um, no one would buy it. And that's the thing is what's it, – it, it's obnoxious to me because – I'm looking at this piece and saying it's not worth $5,000. It's not worth $5,000 of your labor. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing here. Mm-hmm. Like there is no idea here. This mm-hmm. is a this is a y- you've just done a treatment on a canvas. But whatever meaning you're trying to place on it, there it's not on the canvas, you know? Like a, a random person's not going to be able to look at this thing and get anything out of it. Certainly not $5,000 worth of anything. I don't want this in my house. It's it's a mess. You know? So that's frustrating to me, but the way it, the worst part of it was the way he was talking about it. Like it was this deeply significant and profound thing, and they get this certain voice, you know, where they talk about like it's just so meaningful, and it's just like shut up. I mean, I'm sorry. Like maybe I'm just being mean, but I feel like <laughs> most people feel that way. Yeah. And so, at least if you go to the movie theater, they're going to be selling you something. But they're just going to be really straightforward about that. Mm. They're like, we're trying to entertain you, and we're trying to get your money. And that's what we're doing. We're providing a service, and then you provide money. 
and that's the exchange. And if you're happy with it, we're happy with that. That's pretty much what popular art is, mm -hmm. generally speaking. I'm not understanding why, I mean, in, in the midst of all of that, what we have lost entirely, it seems to me, is any concept of just a humble, skilled artist making and producing things of value and really d using them to serve his community. It's this exchange, though. There always has to be this exchange, mm -hmm. and it's terrible. I've talked to artists over and over again about this, and they hate it. Like, it's hard to sell your work. If you put too high a price tag on it, no one will buy it. If you put too low a price tag on it, they don't think it's valuable. Mm -hmm. Because everybody else out there is selling their paintings for five and $10,000, right. even if they're total trash. Yeah. And so it's a really difficult situation, and yeah. it's going to be difficult to navigate. But, um, I Yeah. Should we talk about Andy Warhol? Yeah, yeah, sure. Because I mean, he's, he he runs right into this. Yes, he like, does. Like the whole you know mass-produced tiles of dollar signs. Like it doesn't really get. I much. really like Andy Warhol. <laughs> <laughs> he's someone I would like would love to sit and have a dinner with. Really? Yeah, he's just I think he'd such be sorely an odd disappointed. guy. He's such an odd guy. I think I would probably rather just observe him. Maybe you know. Like sit on a bench and watch him do things in life, and I don't know. I mean, that was definitely what he was going He's for. He's so fascinating. Um, Those turtlenecks. What's he, under them? You know. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Andy Warhol. Pretty much, I I would say he was a Renaissance man. He really did everything. Uh, he was a shoe designer. He was a producer. He managed a rock band. You know, we obviously know him as just an artist, but. Um, he wrote books. He founded a magazine. He did a lot. And uh, everything under the artistic sun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he his work really explores the relationship between artistic expression, uh, celebrity culture, and advertising. That's happening within the 1960s. And uh, I guess we could probably just dive into some of his works, but most, you know, his two most popular are probably the Campbell Soup cans and the Marilyn diptych mm -hmm. of Marilyn Monroe, you know. And mm -hmm. both of them, uh, the Campbell Soup cans are painting on canvas. There's, I think, 23 of them in a row. And the Marilyn diptych is uh, just a replica replication on silkscreen. And he's taking something that's consumeristic and mass producing it. So it's like double commentary on consumerism of the time. You know, Campbell's Soup, classic. You know, everybody loved Campbell's Soups. It's on the commercials. You have the little kid in the kitchen drinking the soup, you know, out of the bowl. And, mm, and thanks, he's, Mom. Yeah, and he's, you know, Andy Warhol's looking at this relationship that people have with products and materials. And he's kind of taking something that's consumeristic mass producing it and making his own mass production consumeristic yeah super meta <laughs> i know and uh and then you know with the maryland diptych he also has this he's really fascinated with celebrity culture um or you know this i think referred to also as the cult of the celebrity mm -hmm. which really is i guess a good definition would be this like tendency to be obsessed with famous figures which is so our culture mm -hmm. uh, and is happening, you know, in the 1960s. And 
you know, of course, Marilyn Monroe, classic. Uh, everybody loves her. And she, in and of herself, she's a commodity. You know, people are consuming her. And so he's mass producing an image of her and making it a, something to consume as well. There's a tension there, too, because... Marilyn Monroe. The reason why you why you why you like her is because she's one of a kind, mm-hmm. and that obviously when it comes to art, mm-hmm. it's like I don't want a print of this. Yeah, I want the original. But with a with a piece like the Marilyn Monroe piece that's been printed on silkscreen, it isn't really. It's already a copy. Yeah, like the thing itself is already a copy, yeah. and then on it you have copies. Yep. Of that same face over and over again. <laughs> And so, really, what he's saying, in some ways, is that tension between the desire that everybody has to have the one of a kind, and the impossibility of actually having one mm-hmm. of a kinds at that mm-hmm. degree of you know yeah. uh, production. Yeah, it's like as soon as you've mass produced something three hundred, five hundred, seven thousand, a million times, you, there's no such thing as a one of a kind mm-hmm. anymore. I think he probably would have been fascinated. Uh, entirely with what has, has occurred in in the modern art distribution uh, period where you have, I mean, the idea of a one-of-a-kind, like Rusty's doing work on his, on his iP- uh, iPad Pro and he's, you know, doing pictures on it. What is a one-of-a-kind? Is there, a, is there an original of that? It's digital information. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's already replicated information. And I think Warhol was seeing that already occur because the more, and you see this happen, celebrity and originals get worn out. They get worn out by the degree to which people want them. Mm-hmm. If you have too many people that have the same thing, and we see this now too, right? Um, with hipsters, especially mm-hmm. th- this idea of I want to I want to be a fan of a band before anyone else is a fan of that band, mm-hmm. and as soon as everybody else becomes fans of that band and they become popular and they quote sell out, then they're not really authentic anymore. Mm-hmm. They're not original anymore. They're mm-hmm. not one of a kind anymore. And so I drop them as being a piece of my identity, even though even just me trying to adopt that as a piece of my identity. That began the breakdown mm. of that originality mm-hmm. or of that transcendence. And um, there is this desire for the transcendence still that you see in this, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas I want this untouchable thing. Like I want this thing that is beyond me. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I have it, I have ruined it by having it. Mm. And mm-hmm. I think war, because now that it's mine, it's common. As soon as it's not just itself, it has become yeah. owned and become common. And, and, you know, the more people that do that, the more common it becomes. Right. So there's this relationship between the cult of the celebrity and idealization of mass production. And I think it honestly ties into, the, like, the ec- economic re- reality of supply and demand. You know, it's like when there's less of something, there's this greater, dem- you know, demand and people will spend more money. And when there's a huge supply of it, it's like, cool, anyone could have it. Not that great anymore. But Andy Warhol, he talked about this um, pertaining to Coke. He said, what's great about this country is that America started the tradition where the richest consumers buy essentially the same things as the poorest. You can be watching TV and see Coca-Cola, and you know that the president drinks Coca-Cola, Liz Taylor drinks Coca-Cola, and just think, you can drink Coca-Cola too. A Coke is a Coke, and no amount of money can get you a better Coke 
than the one the bum on the corner is drinking. All the Cokes are the same, and all the Cokes are good. Liz Taylor knows it, the president knows it, the bum knows it, and you know it. Mm. Like, yes, exactly, you know? And so it's just this, I think that's, you know, kind of going back to this divide. You know, it's like, I think a lot of the divide is mass production. It's so easily accessible, it's not that awesome anymore, you know? And so it's cheaper, and, and when something's, you know, when there's less supply of something and, or even just, you know, Coke, it's like anyone could have a Coke, but you put the right person in front of it and it becomes this cherished, precious commodity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that even plays into, you know, the art culture, the elitist art culture of, um, you know, let's say Michael, you know, reinvented Roy Lichtenstein's comic book strips on a canvas. Well, it doesn't, no offense, it's not that big of a deal because it's Michael. But like, if you put Lichtenstein on it and people Mm -hmm. will spend millions of dollars. Right. Or any other celebrities. Right, any celebrity. yeah. Yeah, so I think it's just, it's crazy just how much popular art has become so much more. It's about mass production. It's about cheap. It's about easily accessible. And it's about a name. But do you see how all the things that you're describing right there flow directly out of existentialism? Yes. (laughs) Actually, interestingly, weirdly, but they do. Because if things don't have intrinsic value, then the only value they have is extrinsic value, value that has been placed on them. Like a Coke, how much Mm. value does a Coke have? Well, as much as you have to pay for it. And art becomes the same way. Like in order to... In order to to indicate to you how valuable this piece of art is, there's nothing in it intrinsically that will give it value. Therefore, I have to put a price tag on it that's high enough to indicate to you that it is rare, exceptional, and desirable. Mm -hmm. But that really is just a capitulation to materialism Mm -hmm. and to the existential belief that there isn't anything that that there isn't any transcendent value that's being placed on things uh, in a stable way, yeah. Because even that is not stable. Yeah. The the currency of celebrity is not a stable currency. Yeah. It goes through depressions and recessions. Yeah. Where you know, like R. Kelly, where is he right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Celebrity is perishable, mm-hmm. and money is perishable, mm-hmm. and every anything that you could put on as value on the things on art. Anything you put outside the art as a value on it is also perishable. Mm. And so without this hope in pursuing something through the art that is beyond us, it really does and always will uh, devolve into meaningless and arbitrary valuations. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, why is Kim Kardashian popular? Why do people know her name? Why do I know her name? Like, what What has she done of great importance? Mm-hmm. You know, what in, What value? It's like, well, no, it, it, she's important because she's important. It's valuable because it's valuable. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's, no, this yeah. is absurd. This yeah. is absurdism. We have completely devolved into absolute absurdism. Yeah. And so for a Christian artist, just bringing it back to yes. as far as what they should do about this. Um, for one, I would say let's try to avoid – the pop culture nonsense 
like make art that's not so trivial as that and and think and and try to do something more than just entertainment mm-hmm. but on the other side like not flying over to the other side don't be pretentious like don't don't be pretentious I, one of the things about you saying you'd like to spend time with Andy Warhol where I as I probably wouldn't is because he strikes me as being singularly self-absorbed and pretentious and I, that's unpleasant mm-hmm. and um you're an artist. You should pursue your craft. You should be skilled, and if you have great ideas, you should you should work them out and execute them. Uh, but that doesn't make you better than other people, and it doesn't make you better than the people who can't even understand what you're doing. They have other things that they're doing and that they're devoting themselves to, and everybody has purposes and gifts in the world. And it's more a matter of we need to contribute to a community and serve the community that we're in through the arts and not try to be either separated from uh, the people or desperate for uh, money that really ultimately you can trust in God for to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of artists have to do other jobs in order to be able to make the art that they want to make. Yeah. And even then, making art marketable is a crapshoot to begin with mm-hmm. because, uh, like, good luck. Like, go out. That's what you're. <laughs> that's basically what it is. Yeah. Who gets popular and why is completely yeah. at this point arbitrary. It has very little to do with skill. It has very little to do with anything. It's just who you know and how they get found out and et cetera, et cetera. It's pretty random. Anything to add in terms of more pop art goodness? Um. Do you recommend pop art as popular art or pop art slash popular art something that you're that you like? I mean, you like Andy Warhol. I uh, I like the commentary on culture. Mm. I think I just appreciate it. I think uh, I think using your resources around you to have a conversation is smart, uh, and. He's engaging with the audience he knows uh, in a way that's also like showing them, look how consumeristic you are. And to the point where, and I, I love this, uh, that the Super Bowl, you know, redid the video of Andy Warhol, you know, just sitting at a table eating a burger and French yeah. fries. I think it was Burger King, yeah. maybe. It was a Burger King. Um, and you know, it's it's kind of like the like painting inside of a painting inside of a painting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we're consuming a commercial uh of andy warhol who's like we're and then we're consuming andy warhol and he's consuming a burger a burger king burger and french fries and that's the whole point we're consuming his consumption of something but again that only goes so far for me that that commentary and even the critique you know the critique of consumerism only goes so far for me where it's like i just i think it only does so much well it's not like you know it's not my favorite, but I think it's the, I appreciate commentary on things that actually are kind of just total ludicrous, mm-hmm. you know, and that it, do, it like, it does something, you know, people probably wanted to go buy Burger King after that, you know, <laughs> because they're watching right. this commercial. Uh, and, and, and from an art historical standpoint, I appreciated Burger King using something from history for current day yeah sure no so. that, that was interesting yeah. i watched it yeah i watched it all the way to the end and it's the so totally boring yeah. and i guess that's <laughs> part of it exactly um, it is that's the point <laughs> but i at the same time art and i think high art especially it has become 
so very crit- critical and and critique oriented, mm-hmm. um, cri- critical of consumer culture, critical of you know whatever, and 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 it's hi- hypocritical even in those terms because if it weren't for consumer culture, if it weren't for people with huge amounts of of wealth to to blow honestly on like 105 million dollars like you're spending 105 million dollars on canvas i don't care what that canvas is that's ridiculous and absurd um you know so you can critique consumerism while you're taking all of this money uh for this bloated piece of critique of consumerism Mm -hmm. you know it's Mm -hmm. like oh isn't that so funny Mm -hmm. you're so droll (laughs) you know uh no at a certain point i want something more than just a, totally, you know, and I also, I I wish that artists generally would just get back to a humble, work-oriented, disciplined, craft and vision approach yeah. to their work, and just show us what is beautiful. Yeah, like, and the the yeah. I mean the great thing is there are those artists, yeah. and they're. They're just not really known. No, and they won't be. Right. That's the other thing is that consumerism does tend to elevate crassness because crass things, garish things are like if you look at a field of objects, the most garish, most ridiculous, most arresting, most offensive image is the one you're most likely to focus on. And all those other humble images who are just doing their thing, quietly speaking positively about the things they value, they're ignored. Mm -hmm. And um, that's difficult if you're an artist to to not give in to that impulse to be like, I have to be the loudest and the brashest and the the most garish in order to be noticed, the most offensive, the most violent, you know. Just do your humble work, whatever mm-hmm. God gives you, mm-hmm. and we'll be good. So we're going to close out this episode with another track by Phil Hodges. He has a version of Neil Young's Old Man. And so Neil Young, sort of popular in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> this is the classical guitar version of it. So we are taking what some people might consider low art and elevating there it into go. classical guitar. So um, check it out. It's 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 interesting. Do I like you, what uh, he did. have any announcements? Oh, yes. Yes, we also have a couple of announcements. Housekeeping. A couple of housekeeping. There, housekeeping. That's what I was thinking. I was trying to think bookkeeping. I mean, book, book, that's not what we're doing here. Housekeeping. I got consumerism on the brain. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, two things. One, we have that survey for the podcast. It is pinned to the top of our Facebook page at Renew the Arts. And we would love it if you listen to the podcast, if you would fill out that survey and let us know your thoughts on what we're doing well, what we're doing poorly, what we could do better any other suggestions or random thoughts or anything like that. Secondly, we have the mailbag episode coming up for episode 10 of season three. And if you have questions or comments or anything else that you want us to address on that episode, make sure to send those to us so that we can include it on the uh, episode. Anyway, enjoy the song. Oh,
What you just heard was Old Man by Neil Young, arranged for guitar by Phil Hodges. <laughs>